Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Let's get ready. It's showtime, folks. Bradley is my favorite one. Here on BZ has some fun. Say your theories put to test. Won't you call some more? Jay talking. Jay, they're wonderful people. With Bradley Jay. Hey, we're going to nip this in the bud. I don't care what time it is. We're going to go talk this thing out. WBZ News Radio 1030. You're Jay talking. We're live midnight to five. Tonight we learn about the secrets of the subway, the abandoned tunnels. And with us is Bradley Clark, president of the Boston Street Railway Association. Mr. Clark, how do you do? Great. How are you, Bradley? Great. Thanks for being with us. Tell me about this Boston Street Railway Association. Well, we're a nonprofit. We've got uh, about 700 members consisting of uh, transit fans, transit professionals, uh, people who have interests in other areas like highways and that sort of thing. And uh, we've been around for 50 years, since 1960, actually a little bit more than that, I guess. We publish a monthly, a bi-monthly newsletter called Roll Sign. Roll signs are the destination signs in the front of a bus or a trolley car that tell where it's going to go. And we publish books. We've published 25 of them over the years on mass transit. That's cool. What kind of uh, perks do, does one get if one joins up? Oh, you get a free subscription to Roll Sign. You get a book when we publish it. You get preference on some of the fan trips we run, uh, chartered streetcars, buses, subway trains, that sort of thing. We've run 110 of those since 1960 or so. Tell me a little bit more about the fan trips, or maybe an example. Oh, well, uh, let's see. About three or four years ago, we uh, took one of the uh, T buses at Everett. Uh, it's number 2600. It's an ancient bus last used probably in the 70s. Um, it uh, traversed the whole system, went into all sorts of yards and stations and places that the public doesn't ordinarily go. And uh, uh, the people aboard the bus and two or three others that, two or three other buses that joined us uh, all got off and took pictures and compared notes with each other and it went on for a whole day. Wow. Is there some uh, some building or room or warehouse where tea paraphernalia stuff, collectibles, is is held, like old fare boxes and old signs and old well, seats? Well, lots of our members have such things. Our association has a library full of old books and pamphlets and brochures and tickets and transfers and coins and tokens and changers and fare boxes and Good Lord, you name it, we have it. We also have an entire streetcar. We're having it restored in Guilford, Connecticut, as we speak. And uh, it's very similar to the orange trolley you see at Boylston Street Station, uh, the old one. What do you, you call that? I'm talking about. I know you live in Brookline, so you probably pass through Boylston Street on your way to 
the office, or maybe you drive. I don't know. I took the, I took a picture of that very car that you're talking about today and used it as a a um, promo. You know, I did a Facebook Live with that in the background at Boylston Street. Sure, it's it's fifty seven thirty four. It's a so called Type Five car, which was built by the Brill Company in Philadelphia in nineteen twenty four. Ours was in the same batch. The difference between the two is that when ours is finished, it will run. And uh, that that vehicle ran for many years on the system as a uh, Sunday excursion special, and it conducted many fan trips. It was very popular. But eventually it wore out in the T, uh, uh, you know, leased it, but made, made no commitment to uh, um, do any work on it other than routine lubrication and that sort of thing. So it needs a lot of work before it can run again. Did you buy it or did they give it to you? Oh, the car we have, we purchased from a scrap dealer who had purchased it from the Metropolitan Transit Authority, the predecessor of the T, and we did that in 1960. That was the reason we formed the association. Wow. Can you disclose how much that cost? About $500. <laughs> That's so cool. A lot of money then, though. So, um... I guess we should tell people how you join the group. Well, go to our website, thebsra.org, and uh, there are instructions there for joining, okay. information about who we are, what we are, what we do, what we offer. I thought that there was a warehouse somewhere filled with old tea stuff. No, but it sounds well, like you're saying I mean, no. you could go to the Seashore Trolley Museum in Kennebunk, Maine, and see that sort of thing. No, I thought the T had, had collected all their old stuff in some warehouse. That's okay. So, Well, well it did have a library at one time, and there was a lot of that stuff, paper stuff especially, but not anymore. Now, the Type 5 cars, is that what runs on the Metapan Spur, or is that a different car? Oh, no, that's a PCC, President's Conference Committee car. Now, that's like the modern car in front of the Type 5 that you photographed today. Yeah. And those cars were developed by the street railway industry as a response to the automobile, which was quickly getting rid of trolley lines all over the country. And uh, it was a great improvement. It kept streetcars running in many places far longer than one would have expected. And, of course, they always stayed in Boston on today's what is today's green line. So there's a B, C, D, E line. There used to be an A line. Where'd that go, and why did it go away? Watertown. It uh, ran from Park Street to Watertown. It was uh, abandoned on June 21st, 1969, uh, primarily because the T uh, was unable to buy new equipment for the line, and they didn't have enough spare parts to keep the cars running. And that is somewhat of a problem over on the Mattapan line right now, where the last 10 cars exist, but only uh, uh, four or five are actually running. The T's embarked on a, a big uh, plan to uh, replace most of the running gear on those cars, which should give them another eight to ten years. That's cool. They have to fabricate them from scratch, right? Well, fabricate the replacement parts. Right. The shells will remain the same. The okay. cars will look pretty much as they did when they were delivered in 1944. Um, what about the new cars? You, I'm, the you, Type 9s. No the, no, the ones that aren't even here yet. What do you know Those about them? Those are the Type 9s. Okay, Type 9s. What do you know about them? Well, they're built by a Spanish firm, 
They're state-of-the-art. They have low floors, quick acceleration, good braking, thoroughly modern, air-conditioned, filtered air, very high-quality uh, pieces of equipment. And the T is currently breaking in uh, the first three of them, as I understand, with more to come. The plan is to get enough cars to make up for the extension, the Green Line extension to Somerville and Medford, which is slated to open in 2021 or 22 or 23, depending on whom you talk to. Now, you're speaking about the Green Line cars. There's also there are also Chinese cars, right? True. Um, the uh, the Orange Line cars, uh, of which there's a train or so. Um, are on the property, and they will be put in service, the T is saying now, sometime in in March. They had planned to do it in December, but with new equipment, there's always a lot of teething problems and a lot of experimenting and testing and uh, getting the manufacturer back to correct this or that, and it takes a while before you can actually get them going. Where do, where do they build the Spanish cars? Spain? Uh, oh, no. Uh, the parts come to... Uh, the United States, and they're uh, assembled here. But um, the the actual manufactured materials that go into the car are made in Spain. You said that they were high quality. Are they higher quality than those Breda? I, ne- I never liked the Italian Breda cars. Well, the Breda cars have a checkered history. You know, when you're dealing with um, when you're dealing with uh, light rail, it's a it's a tricky situation. Um, Way back when, when those Breda cars were ordered uh, in the 1990s, um, there was a uh, performance specification written, which essentially said, build us some cars that will run on our system. And as with many transit authorities in the United States, as soon as the uh, contract was issued, the engineers working for the authority got involved and decided that they needed to modify things. And as a result, uh, change order after change order occurred, which cost money. And they ended up with a piece of equipment that didn't really fit the system. The response was to literally rebuild the track on the whole system so that the cars would work. And the big problem was that that center uh, section, which rides on a truck, um, kept derailing because the track has to be glass smooth and perfectly level everywhere and that's not the nature of the green line so as a practical matter uh it took 10 years to shake down those type eights and also which was interesting i mean joe danucci the the old state auditor you may remember him yeah. uh he did a report on those type eights and one of the things he pointed out he said to show the absurdity of the situation, Breda asked the T for um, the track profiles in Boston, ups and downs and elevations and so on. And the response was that someone sent them the track profiles for San Francisco. I mean, the whole thing was almost nuts, and uh, it, it took way longer than it should have. The cars now still have problems with that center truck, but they're much better. But it took a long, 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 long time to iron it out. When I got to town in, well, in uh, 1980, I remember there were Boeing cars, right? The Boeing cars were intended to re- replace the PCCs that I, 
I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And uh, those weren't any great shakes either. They were built by a helicopter manufacturer, Boeing Vertol, uh, which had just come off the Vietnam War. And this was an effort to keep them alive because the military needed the helicopters. So uh, someone at the Department of Transportation in Washington decided that, well, let's have them build streetcars. How difficult could that be? Well, by the mid-1980s, about 10 years after these cars were ordered, they finally got those straightened out. And so, as a practical matter, uh, they've had two series of new cars, which gave them an awful lot of trouble. And one series, which was perfect, and that's the so-called Type 7. Is that the Kinkies? Ones that are being rebuilt now and have a smooth, glossy green finish and look yeah. great. Yeah. So those were the best ones of the modern oh, era? absolutely. Not trouble-free, but close. Now, who makes those? Was that Kinky, K-I-N-K-I? Yes, that's right. Kinky Sharu in Japan. Sheesh, I didn't realize I knew so much about this. Uh, when I got to town, I believe, you know, maybe it was when I would hitchhike from college, or maybe it was when I got to town, but there were still some of the old PCCs running, running right, up to like 79 or so? Well, they were in service, actually, till 1985 on the Arbaway line. And uh, they still run, of course, today on the Mattapan Ashmont line. So, yes, you would have seen them running in the subway uh, when you came to town. I remember them feeling like they weighed so much and their, their uh, suspension was lacking. And it, would, it was a very chunky ride, chunk, chunk, chunk. Well, the thing about them was they, had, uh, they required constant attention, constant repair. Um, I'm writing a book about this particular phase of the uh, the green line it's called embracing light rail the evolution of boston's green line and um it's part of a series i've written two earlier books dealing with boston in the 40s and uh dealing with the mta called uh, boston's mta through riverside and beyond and these of course are very technical books and deal with people that are extremely interested and vitally interested in the topic and that's my audience. We will get to the abandoned tunnels. That's the big uh, payoff at the end. But the, there's a lot more to learn before we get there. How did you get so interested in the tea, in, in trains? Well, I grew up in Arlington, Mass. And my parents were old school. They had a car, but commuted to work on the uh, MTA. And my earliest memories are getting on the uh, streetcar at Academy Street in Arlington and taking taking it to Harvard Square, getting off there and getting on the Cambridge subway, now called the Red Line, and going to Park Street. And uh, I remember those experiences vividly. And I've always been interested in it. I, uh, I took pictures of the last car lines in Cambridge when I was uh, in high school. I... Uh, have photographed the system ever since and uh, in many other cities as well. There was so, opposition to the tea in, in the 1800s when they were thinking about building it. People were freaked out about the fact that it was underground and they thought disease was down there and the dead people were down there and there was all kinds of opposition, right? Yeah, well, the clergy thought it was unnatural for man to go underground because the dead were buried there. They associated it with... Uh, tuberculosis, which was common to dark, cool, moist places like the subways they imagined it. Um, 
there was a lot of, um, what should we say, a concern about something the Boston Globe published about that time called the subway bug, some hideous imaginative uh, uh, concoction of a, of a cartoon artist. And uh, as a practical matter, when that subway opened on September 1st, 1897, the very first one in America, um, it became an instant success. All of that was tossed out. Uh, it was mobbed with riders from the first day. Yeah, they were doing 50, 250,000 a day by the end of the first year, I, I understand, right? Incredibly busy. You're absolutely right. And there's lots of stories associated with the subway. The very first rider was a cat, which was on a flat car, and uh, the workmen liked the cat so much, they named him Prince Subway and fed him, and they pushed him through the subway, making the cat the first rider of the subway. That is an excellent story. So the first line only went two stops, right? Tremont to... to... Well, it, it entered at the public garden. It, it actually had a incline, a portal in the public garden. And it was by the statue of Charles Sumner across from Church Street. And cars came down Boylston Street, went into the public garden, entered the portal, and ran to Boylston Street Station. From there, they ran to Park Street Station. And about, oh, I'd say a month after the first uh, um, uh, leg that you described to two stations opened, a second leg uh, opened to uh, Pleasant Street, which was uh, later Broadway and which is now the end of Tremont Street where it turns uh, at a right angle to continue down into the south end. And uh, that opened on September, uh, December 30th of 1897. I have that wrong. October 1st of 1897. Um, let's see. And then there was a third section, and this was from Park Street, which ran to, uh, all the way to Haymarket. And that section opened in 1898 on September 3rd, and that included the infamous Scully Square station and uh, Haymarket and a little side loop station called Adams Square, which is now in the basement of City Hall, and which City Hall, by the way, uh, has been offering to the public. They had uh, people down there walking through that old station uh, sometime last year, I think, uh, in the spring. And they were mobbed. Everybody wants to walk on the subway. Tunnels were abandoned in 62, some of them. Why? Well, that, that particular segment where Adams Square is was abandoned in 1963. And uh, what you had there was the uh, new city hall being erected at its present site. And what they did was abandon the tunnel, which ran under Cornhill Street. You know where the steaming kettle is, where that curved series of stores is, right? Yes. Well, the tunnel abutted the foundations of those buildings and ran down to Washington Street and made a hard left and that was Adams Square Station. And then it went on to rejoin the subway at Haymarket. Well, because that was in the foundation of City Hall, they built an entirely new tunnel 
paralleling the inbound tunnel under Hanover Street. And that was the reason. There, uh, there are other abandoned tunnels. Maybe it's a good time to start talking about them. Well, that second leg of the Tremont Street subway that I described to you that opened a month after the first section, which included, included uh, Boylston and Park, um, that second leg uh, also served Boylston and Park. And it is that segment, which was last used for cars to Lenox Street in the south end, it's that segment which is under Tremont Street, running through the theater district and ending at Elliott Norton Park. There's a circular church, the Church of All Nations, in that park, right at the corner of Charles and Tremont. And the tunnel actually ends right there. And it's complete. It's actually usable. In fact, when the T was having trouble with those LRVs, they needed to make some space, so they put a half a dozen or so of them down there. There are about ten, right? Well, um, it depends on what you define as a section of subway. There are pieces, and uh, they're not full subways. For example, the elevated used to climb out of the subway uh, in the uh, south end and uh, join the main elevated line uh, near Castle Street, which is now um, Marginal Road and Washington Street. And um, there's a section, a long section there, of abandoned subway. The rail is still there. Um, All of the uh, pertinences, uh, third rail and this sort of thing, that's there. Under Harvard Square... uh, over by, uh, I guess you'd call it Brattle Square, by the JFK School of Government. Yeah. That whole area underneath there is... With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's vacant because, <coughs> excuse me, I've got this cold. And Anyway, uh, it's vacant because um, it was the yard that served the red line before the extension to uh, North Cambridge. And then at Maverick, there's a... Uh, loop, a streetcar loop, at the uh, east end of the station that was built in 1922. And there's another loop at the other end of the station, which handled the rapid transit trains. And this was prior to the extension of the Blue Line to Revere. And there are lots of these examples, but they're segments. None is as long as that Tremont Street subway segment that I described to you, which is a full Oh, third of a mile or so. When you go down there and look at the stations, how much of it is actually original from day one? Is there anything you can see today that's... Boylston Street Station is virtually the same as it was when it opened in 1897. The Department of the Interior declared the Tremont Street subway, those original stations, Park and Boylston, to be... Uh, historic sites, and uh, 
they are protected. And Boylston is extremely original. Um, it's hard to find a better example of historic preservation. Um, you are actually taking a time trip when you walk through Boylston Street Station. So those pillars, those columns that are holding stuff up in the ceiling, they, that's from 1897? Yes, it is. And when you walk in that section of subway that I described to you, that abandoned subway that runs under the theater district and down to Elliott Norton Park, you'll see the original niches cut in the walls for the workers to step back when the cars went by. You'll see the wire trough on the ceiling, which handled the trolley wire. You'll see the rail. Um, the rail's been replaced, of course, many times because it's a wearing surface, but still, uh, you're in the original subway. Why did that one survive and the others didn't? Well, uh, the others were generally abandoned because something uh, replaced them. Now, uh, in the case of the Harvard Square uh, area where there was a yard in front of the JFK School of Government, um, the uh, red line was extended to Alewife and they no longer needed it. So that's why it was abandoned. In the case of the elevated, where it ascended from the Washington Street Tunnel to the uh, South End L to Forest Hills, uh, that was abandoned because the Southwest Corridor replaced it. And so, uh, in the case of the Tremont Street subway, however, um, that was never replaced because they converted the line to bus operation. So... They, didn't, they no longer needed it to go into the subway. Now, there was a lot of complaints about that because, as a practical matter, it takes a heck of a lot longer to uh, go to the State House on the 43 bus than it did taking the 43 streetcar, which ran right through the subway all the way to North Station. As, a, as the boss of this organization, do you have any clout? Is there any way you can get them to? We're a public charity, a 501c3. Can you get the tea? We really can't. We really can't take a position on anything with with political overtones. Okay. Lots of people ask us what we think, and you know, privately we might say something, but not in a public forum. All right. Let me just sh tell you, share with you, one thing that bothers me, and that is the elevator. If you have bad knees or you are handicapped in any way, you need to take the elevator, and the and the elevators are used as bathrooms and they don't get cleaned it, it smells horrible and it's too bad that folks who are disabled get subjected to that kind of thing and i don't see why it would take that much money to to clean those up once in a while well elevator and escalator maintenance are expensive items they uh, are very cantankerous and they require a great deal of maintenance and uh, in addition the t hires right now uh contractors to clean the stations and maintain things like the elevators and and uh, uh, escalators in, in clean condition. Uh, they're moving uh, vehicles, really, and they're tricky to keep clean and, and keep well-maintained. I don't criticize the T on that. Um, many of those elevators and escalators were put in in great haste uh, because of pressure from the Americans with Disability Act, and it should have been done, no question about it. But uh, 
you've got stuff which probably, in many cases, should be replaced with newer, more modern equipment and, uh, uh, you know, uh, perhaps retain contractors that are a little more uh, likely to... Uh, Clean. Yeah, I, that's that's really the case. It's super... I've, I've had they people should... tell me that their elevator maintenance firm was uh, uh, very unreliable, and I won't name names. Right, it's the stink that gets me. And people come to town from places with really clean transit systems and see this and then they have to ride the elevator it's just it's an embarrassment now do you remember well, of course you're confined to us though okay uh if you go to philadelphia and san francisco and other cities with similar subway systems you'll find places that are uh, equally distasteful <laughs> tell me about well i just want to kind of reminisce about the wooden escalator at south station yeah what would you like to know? I would like to know, why couldn't they keep it? It was so awesome. It never broke down. It was really cool. Well, it did break down. No. And uh, it was, uh, well, it was put there in 1916. Wow. And uh, as a practical matter, it was uh, wide enough for only one person. And, uh, you know, finding spare parts for something 100 years old is is tough. I suppose. Here's yeah, the next, next the question thing. is, why is the Porter Square Station so deep? It's unbelievably deep. It's deep twice. Well, it twice. had to be. Uh, you're building a tunnel down Massachusetts Avenue, and you come to Porter Square, and what have you got? You've got in a trench the commuter rail line. So you not only have to be underground, but you have to be under the commuter rail line itself. Ah. So it's very deep. And in addition, it's a deep bore all the way over to... Uh, Davis Square, and that's uh, somewhat of a uh, tough uh, thing to construct. Um, they built it deep bore because there are so many utilities in the area, gas, water, electric, some steam in places. It's, 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 it's very complicated. Just got to get underneath all that, I guess. You've got to, and uh, that's, that's what you do. What's your favorite tea station? Oh, I guess I like Boylston the best. I'm a nostalgia buff. Next question is about Government Center. Yeah. And talk a little bit about the rehab there. Well, the rehab is uh, thoroughly modern. Um, it's uh, impressive. It was done well. The one objection I had to the process was closing the station for two years. When you do that, you lose ridership, and that's not a good thing. We're trying to encourage ridership. I don't like the process of building something and shutting down the existing system completely till you have the replacement built. I don't think it's a good idea. The T in earlier years and its predecessors always maintained service. You know, on, uh, for example, the West Boston Bridge, the Longfellow Bridge, when they did track work on one of the rails, they switched the inbound and outbound trains to the other rail and ran in both directions with crossovers at either end of the work. That was common practice on the uh, trolley lines, on the rapid transit lines, the third rail lines, for many, many years. Now, contractors claim it allows them to get the job done faster and is safer. Both are true. But what do you do if you throw the baby out with the bathwater by driving ridership away? Yes, people can establish other routines and never come back. That's right. And that's 
dangerous. I saw something that was interesting, and I thought, this is going to fail, and, and I wanted to know if it did fail. They, When they first opened it up, they had installed little uh, misting misters to keep wet the tracks wet, I guess, so it wouldn't squeal or something. Does, That's right. Is that still working? Um, uh, what what area are you talking about? Mattapan? No, a government center. Uh, I'm unsure of that. I can't. I can't tell you precisely. That's a standard way, though, of reducing wheel squeal. They don't do it at Boston, do they? I can't answer to that either. I've seen a number of articles on that subject. There's so much it wheel is squeal. Extremely there. noisy there, though, yeah. and probably would benefit from that kind of treatment. The T, by the way, has experimented with different types of wheels which consist of plates with a rubber sandwich to try and attenuate the sound. And there are a number of other techniques which are applied around the world. I'm not sure what the T is currently doing in that area, but they're certainly aware of it. What's, uh, in addition to the extension, what can we look forward to in the future with the T? What are the long-term plans? Replace um, the entire Green Line fleet with uh, multiple section articulated cars. Imagine uh, your favorite topic, the Type 8. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But divide it into uh, oh, as many as 10 little segments. And to do that, they are talking about straightening out some of those wheel squeaky tunnels that we're talking about. Jeez, um, that's a big project. Oh, it will be. Um, it's been talked about. Uh, the, 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 the bottleneck in the green line is between Scully Square, Government Center, and Park Street, where there's only two tracks. They need a second tunnel, and that's been talked about since the line was opened. And uh, in Boston, things often take a long time to happen, and this was no exception. But the thing is, uh, you're going to see an entirely new Orange Line fleet shortly. That should greatly improve uh, service on that line. You're going to see a brand-new Red Line fleet very shortly as well. The T's buying uh, many modern buses, and uh, most of them are of the low-floor variety so that uh, people don't have to climb a bunch of steps in order to get on board. Um you're going to see an emphasis on maintenance, improved maintenance. Uh, one of the things I like about the present administration is that it is focusing on maintenance. And as a practical matter, politicians love to cut ribbons. They love bright, shiny new things. But maintenance isn't glamorous. And the T is focusing on maintenance for the first time, I think, in many, many years. I like the present administration. I like what it's doing. And uh, if they keep it up, they're going to greatly improve the service to Boston and its people. I'm trying to picture the, the new type of cars, very short and linked together. 
if that's the case, that why would you need to straighten out the tunnels? I, I would think if they were shorter, Not linked together. Short. And uh, the other reason is there's always been a capacity problem in the subway. Because everything narrows down to two tracks in that tunnel between uh, uh, Government Center and Park Street, um, it slows service down. If you had a second tunnel, you'd have a much easier time uh, and a much greater throughput. One thing New York has is express trains. Yeah. There's no way ever, ever, ever that we would have that, correct? Only with the expenditure of uh, gigabucks. Gigabucks, like like You're big dig, big dig times two. Is expensive. Yeah. And uh, creating a second uh, subway, which is essentially what you're doing, on, say, the red line, would be cost prohibitive. The way you increase throughput is to run things faster with better signaling. And if you do that, uh, and good equipment and well-trained personnel, if you do that, you're going to end up with uh, vastly improved service. I think I think the next 10 years will uh, bring a lot of major changes to the system, all beneficial. You mentioned signaling. What is the status of the signaling? Is it, you know, 1950s wiring? No, still? it's not. It's, um, for example, on the red line, it's, uh, in some cases, early technology. Um, there is a uh, switch just beyond Andrew, which allows trains to go to either the South Shore or the uh, or to Ashmont, and it's early logic, and it's constantly breaking down. And I imagine the T at some point will replace that. But it's failed so many times, uh, it's nicknamed Malfunction Junction. And uh, i got to tell you, uh, there are examples of this kind of performance all over the place. Uh, the T really does need a lot of money to eliminate some of these things. And uh, I don't think it's getting nearly enough. But it's a practical matter. That's politics, and uh, there are other priorities. Right. Back to the tunnels. What's it yeah. like? What's it? I mean, the abandoned tunnels. What's it like down there? It's very dry. It's poorly lit. Although, when the subway was opened, to counteract these fears of pestilence and disease and the dead and everything else, the uh, company painted the walls white and the ceilings white, and they used electric arc lights in the stations, and they lit the tunnels. Boston was the first city in the world to light its tunnels. And uh, so it was very bright down there. Not daylight bright, but very close. And... Uh, that was another source of wonderment to the riding public. And remnants of all of this stuff are still down there. Right now, it's work lighting with uh, yellow cords and cages around light bulbs and that sort of thing. The T has its hands full trying to keep people out of there, but uh, often the homeless and uh, others congregate down there, and you find evidence of food and uh, where it goes ultimately down there, it's 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 uh, a little uh, spooky sometimes. How do they get down there? I walk right off the platform of the station 
The T sometimes in some stations, for example, at Maverick, if you walk beyond the platform, an alarm goes off. But not so everywhere. And uh, there again, there's a there's something that has to be maintained. It's it's an unwieldy system in many ways. It's a combination of ultra modern and very old. And uh, I think that the employees of the T and the management of those employees really works hard to do the best with what they have. Right. Those tunnels are actually real estate. Have there been proposals to use the, that space for museums or restaurants or bars or anything like that? Yes. Um, I am aware of one proposal to uh, put a nightclub in the end of the Tremont Street subway and another to put, to put a uh, museum. I haven't heard of any other proposals, though. It wouldn't surprise me if there were. And one one final thing, or one or two final things. Right. Is there a room, a place somewhere with a a couple of old T cars that are used for training? Well, uh, the the T trains like emergency training. Oh, uh, well, I, I wouldn't say that. There are pieces of equipment. There are work cars which are dedicated to re-railing, handling derailments, uh, to do emergency track repairs, to provide supplies in a hurry. Um, and it's, it's not training. It's, it's regular maintenance of way personnel that use them. Training is conducted by the instruction department, okay. which uses cars that regularly run on the uh, road or buses that are regularly used or trackless trolleys that are regularly used. And, uh, Basically, a student will operate the vehicle, and folks will sit in the back, other students, and the instructor will supervise the operation of the vehicle that way. Have you ever seen a bus come along that says instruction bus? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Okay, and finally, in a couple of minutes, as far as you can recall, what was the worst disaster that ever happened in the Regarding, oh, the molasses affair. Regarding the tea, okay. On January 15th, 1919. How did that affect the tea? Well, the Boston Elevated Railway owned uh, the property adjoining Copps Hill Wharf. And uh, the Purity Distilling Company, which received molasses from, from the Indies, uh, would uh, send a tank car to Copps Hill and pick up the molasses frequently, and the Boston Elevated Railway would use a work car to tow that tank car over to East Cambridge, where the Purity Distilling Company was located. Now, about 1913, Purity decided it would build a big storage tank, a two-million-gallon tank, uh, on the property which the Elevated owned, and... Uh, I have seen records which suggest that the Boston Elevated was quite concerned about the construction of the tank. Apparently, though, did not react to uh, it at all. And, uh, well, it was a big tank, 90 feet high, about two, almost 300 feet in circumference. And it was a commercial on Foster Streets. And when it uh, blew up, which was on January 15th, 1919, a 40-foot wave of molasses, uh, actually it was 30, 30 to 40 feet, I'd say, um, uh, just exploded all over the uh, uh, street area 
it brought down uh, part of the Atlantic Avenue elevated. I really appreciate you being on with us so late at night. Bradley Clark, Boston Street Railway Association boss. Maybe I'll meet with you, meet up with you sometime. That'll be nice. Cool. Thanks a lot for your time and all the information. Nice talking with you. Likewise, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was another Jay Talking Podcast. If you loved what you heard, like and review the show. It helps others find us. Subscribe to the Jay Talking Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. Follow me on Twitter for show updates. And as always, you can catch the show live every weeknight starting Sunday, midnight to 5 on WBZ Boston's News Radio. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.